Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. So today we have Jake Parker. Um, Jake Parker is an illustrator, a writer and teacher based in Utah. Jake has worked on everything from animated films to comics to picture books since 1999. He's lived in six states working at the best studios with some of the most amazing and talented people in the USA. Now Jake freelances out of his own studio in Utah. His work has been published countless times in way too many places to list here, but despite that, he might be best known to our listeners as the founder of the hugely popular October Drawing Challenge, Inktober, which we'll talk about later. So welcome, Jake. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks ever so much. And we just want to kick off with the first question, which is when did you first discover your love of drawing? Uh, it was very, very early on. The, the story goes that um, I was just old enough to hold a pen really like 18 months old, very little. And my mom said that I started drawing a picture of her sewing machine. And granted, it wasn't a good picture of her sewing machine, but the the shape was kind of there. And she said, uh, ever since then, it it was draw, draw, draw all the time. And, um, And I remember being that kid growing up that that just loved to draw and was drawing and and preferred drawing over most other activities. Um, And then it was probably in seventh or eighth grade, I was 12 or 13 years old, where I really decided like, this is something I want to take serious. And so I, I buckled down and started learning like my fundamentals, like how to shade and how to do perspective and, and over the years, how to ink with a, uh, different pens and how to do watercolors and and then finding digital tools and learning how to do digital stuff. So it's it's definitely something that I've been doing for a long time now. So do you think that some people are just born with that natural artistic talent or do you think it's something anyone can learn? I think it is something anyone can learn. And uh, I think what I think the natural stuff that um, I think separates some creators from other creators might be uh, an aptitude to see things in an artistic way and to deconstruct things so they can understand how they're built. But I I even feel like that can be trained as well. So, uh, you know, I I used to think, oh, you're, you're born with it. You either got it or you don't. But I've been doing a lot of study on that in the last few years and I'm realizing more and more, um, that in my own case, where I had, you know, an affinity towards drawing, um, I think the real reason I'm I'm good at drawing is just because I practiced a lot at it. And I I compare. I recently went home and and found an old box that my mom had kept of my drawings, and I personally have kids who draw right now as well. And I found some drawings that I did that are the same age as some of the drawings that um, one of my sons has done. He's nine years old now. And I compared the two and I realized that my nine-year-old son, who I thought was just an okay artist, was actually better than I was <laughs> when I was nine. And so I realized, okay, if, if uh, you know, if, if I was at that level at that age and now I'm drawing at a professional level now, then clearly it wasn't talent. It was just me liking it and working on it all the time. So have you been actively teaching your children to draw? As much as a let me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just wondering if a lot of that talent is down to them watching you and you kind of sitting them down and saying, right, you know, this is, this is how you do it. Or whether it's just that they've, they've got that already in them, if you see what I mean. I think what it is, uh, my oldest, he's a high school age. He's about 17 Mm. and he actually is like, okay, how do I draw this? How do I do this? 
you know, how does perspective work? How do I do a building? And so I'll sit down and, and show him. But like any, you know, up until then, for the most part, I'm just like, have fun with it and want it to be enjoyable. I don't want it to be like anything where they're like, oh, I have to draw. Dad's making me draw um, because I want them to, to enjoy drawing the rest, of, the rest of their life. And I know that it's something that it's one of those things that you can do, you know, until you die. Uh, it's, it's not super physical. It's very cerebral. You know, it keeps you, your brain going. And, and as long as you can hold a, a, an instrument that can make a mark, uh, I think drawing is available to you. And so, you know, for me, regardless of if, if it becomes a career for them or not, I just want them to have fun doing it. And if they come to me and say, okay, teach me, show me your ways, teach me, you know, how to do this, then I'll, then I'll do that. But for the most part, I'm pretty hands off and very supportive. And I make sure that there's uh, art supplies available and interesting things to look at and, and art books available and, and, um, you know, throwing out things for them to think about creatively and asking them questions about the things that they've created to, you know, see what the imagination, what's going on behind the scenes there in their heads. But that's that's the extent of it. Because your oldest son, he's been on some of your videos with you, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, a handful. He's He started his own Instagram account where he posts his, his comics. He does, like, funny four-panel comics. And he's he's actually built a substantial following on Instagram. You know, every once in a while I'll throw him a little bone and say, Hey, you know, check out what he's doing. But for the most part, he's, he's built, you know, this following on his own. And there's even some people who've come up to me and said, Oh, I found your art through your son. So, so you're a self-taught artist then, aren't you? So how did you then develop your style And, and how would you recommend that other people find their own? Um, Self-taught, that is, I think, I think you, in order to learn anything, you have to be a self-learner, regardless if you go to school or if you have mentors or, or tutors or anything like that. At some point, you have to kind of look at what you're doing, self-critique um, and, and identify areas that you need improvement, and then look at what other people are doing and try to implement that, implement that in your own work. And it helps to have a mentor that you could show that you could show and, and get feedback on. And I think you can make great strides, you know, by even just having a friend who's one step ahead of you or even at your level that you guys can, can go back and forth and, and, and get feedback on your work. I think, I think that helps. So um, I, me personally, I didn't go to art school. I took art classes and eventually uh, left, just dropped out of school to, to pursue a career in art um, because there really wasn't, I, re- I recognized early on, it wasn't so much about any sort of paperwork or degree or experience that you had. It was just, was your portfolio um, to the level that they needed for you to be able to do the work? And so I felt like I had a portfolio that was at a good enough level. And so I just went out and started looking for, for jobs. I ended up getting a, a job in, in animation. Um, as far as finding that style, finding your own style, it's sort of like, you know, can you compare your handwriting to the next person and tell a difference, right? And the reason that your handwriting is different from that person is you learned the structure of how a letter is supposed to look on a piece of paper. And then as you continue to do that over and over and over, you started adding little shortcuts to, to, uh, to make it easier. And you started holding your pencil in a certain way that, that was comfortable for you. And pretty soon, the way that you write is your own unique personal style. And I think that's the same way with art is you learn the fundamentals. You spend your time learning you know, what is light and shadow, what is form, what is line, those types of things. And as you do it over and over and over, and as you let other influences kind of creep in to your work, you, uh, you start to develop this personal style where you have shortcuts and you have a certain way that your hand likes to, to move across the page. And I think at some point that first style that you recognize as your own 
almost happens indirectly or by accident. And once you recognize what goes into making that yours, then you can start to, I think, develop multiple styles. And I've seen artists, professionals that I've worked with who have their style that they do to, to work you know, in the, in the studio environment. And then they have their personal style for their personal projects and they're two different styles. And I've seen them actively like working in sketchbooks, like trying to develop it. And so what it is, is it's the same thing. It's like, well, I want to draw a head a certain way. And I like the way that these eyes look. And I like the way this, this facial structure works. And I like the, the, you know, the, the simplicity of the line work here. I'm going to, you know, that this artist does, I'm going to, you know, let that influence the way that my line work works and uh, and eventually a, another style forms. I think style tends to happen naturally, as you say, but I think a lot of times people don't realise they actually have one and mm-hmm. they are forever looking for it, but actually yeah. they've already got it. Yeah. No, I fall into that trap too. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, just the other day I was talking to to my son. I was like, I was like, I just feel like I don't draw people good enough and I don't like the style that I draw people and I feel like I don't even have a style and look at this, this looks like this person's and this looks like that person's. And he said, no, no, you you have a style. And he was actually pretty, um, he didn't pull back any punches. He's like, it's just not a very good style. And here's what you need to do to improve it, you know, uh, which I appreciate. And we have that kind of open relationship and he knows he can't, he, he can say that kind of stuff to me um, because I won't get offended. And, and, you know, even if my feelings are hurt a little bit, it's, it's, I remember when he used to be in diapers. So there. (laughs) (laughs) Now you mentioned before that you went straight and got a job. So what was that first job like? What were you doing? What sort of work? So it was back in 1998, I believe. Um, I lived in Arizona, which is in Phoenix, Arizona, which is about six or seven hours drive from Los Angeles and Hollywood. And so Hollywood um, has all these animation studios there. You've got Disney, you've got, you know, Warner Brothers, you've got um, now you've got like DreamWorks and and, yeah, DreamWorks was around back then, too. Um, And so you have all these animation studios and Fox Animation wanted to save money some for some I think they thought if we open a studio six hours away in Phoenix then it's cheaper there the cost of living is more affordable let's open our animation studio there and we'll just make animation in Phoenix instead of here in Hollywood and uh and so that was like this crazy thing because here I was this kid who never really knew any solidly professional artists except one or two, but they, they weren't into the animation or the video games or comic books or anything that I was really interested in. Um, and so I had nothing, I had no frame of reference for what a professional artist was, what they worked on, what they did. And then this animation studio just pops up right in my town. And I was talking to my former uh, high school art teacher and I was about 21 years old. And he said, he's looked at my portfolio and he said, you know what, uh, Jake, you, uh, you should just send this down to the studio and, and see if they've got a spot for you. And so I did. And they looked at my portfolio and said, uh, you, know, you know, there's something here. Why don't you come down and take a test? So I went and did an animation test. And um, in the meantime, I knew a guy uh, through that teacher who connected me to a former student of his who was also working at the studio. And I, I went over to his house and he showed me, here's how you animate. <laughs> here's very simple, how you flip pages and here's some principles. And then I went home and I, for a straight week I practiced and then I took this test and it was just enough to get a job as like the lowest person in the in-between department. And the in-betweeners were the people who, took what the animators did and did all the drawings that they didn't want to do, all the tedious extra drawings that they didn't want to do. We just had to match their style and had to fill in all the, all the blanks. And so I did that for a couple of years and that while I was there, I took it as like my next level in learning. And so all these professional artists 
who were working and who had gone to art school and who had years of experience, I just went from table to table. Hey, how do I draw this? Look at this. How can I make it better? How do I do this? Can I, you know, what do you think of this thing? And I got feedback and, and I leveled up while I was there and I put that into a portfolio and use that to get my next job. And at that next job, I learned from those people and I use that to, to get better and to get a better portfolio. And, and that, that's just sort of been what I've been doing my whole career is taking whatever I can learn from the people around me, trying to apply it to get better and then moving, moving forward. So you've obviously worked with some really high profile companies, as you said, like including Disney and Warner and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, Google. Um, there's so many, I, I couldn't possibly list them here, but is there one mm-hmm. job that you particularly loved over the others? Um, you know, Right now, I'm, I'm independent. Every project that I work on is is either a project that I've created myself or it's a project where um, they've specifically come to me to because they want my particular style or my vision. And so I feel like every project I do now is something that I really, really want to work on. And I think outside of that, when I was doing studio work and working for these other companies, it would probably be the the Horton Here's a Who uh, film that I was in the uh, in the art department for. That was at Blue Sky Studios, and the the cool thing about that was taking Dr. Seuss's very fun, just his his energetic, you know, crazy style that was two dimensional. And turning it into three dimensional, and how do you interpret that? And so we, you know, we spent months and months trying to figure out how do you make Seuss in three D, and and that was just such a fun project, and I learned so much, and I, again, I leveled up as an artist, and I was around all these new uh, talented people, so that was probably my favorite project, um, outside of personal projects. As far as personal projects are concerned, I just finished a graphic novel um, that I wrote, that I drew. Uh, I kickstarted it, and um, it's being shipped out very soon here. Um, and that that has been just one of my favorite things to ever work on. I was just looking at the book. I got an advanced copy from the printer that I worked with in China. I was just flipping through, and I was like, oh, all I want to do for the rest of my life is work on more stuff like this. So um, if that's if that's what I could position myself to do, uh, I think I'll be a very happy creator. And that's something that's available now, is it? Um, yeah, if you go on my website, there's links to it. You can find a link to it and yeah. and buy it. Yep. So when you are working on your personal projects, like, like the book you've just done, where do you get the inspiration from? Oh, boy, everywhere. Um, it, you know, you... you if you're getting into this creative life, <laughs> you, you have to be a sponge and, and you, it's also kind of unfortunate because some, sometimes I just want to experience a situation or a person or, or, um, or go to a place and just enjoy it for what it is. But all the time I'm just thinking, okay, how can I use this in the future? Like, Oh, this building, how could I, you know, use this lighting, uh, in the, you know, in a, in a graphic novel or this person, how could I use, you know, their character quirk that they have for one of my characters that I'm working on. So, um, I call it filling your creative bank account, making sure your creative bank account is full so that you have creative capital when you need to create something. And if your bank account's empty, then you won't be able to create, or you'll create something that's, you know, creatively, vapid and in order to um to get the most out of your creative time you have to be filling constantly filling that creative bank account and you do that through either indirect experiences or direct experiences and direct experiences are obviously like going out and doing stuff and meeting people and traveling and going to places and and seeing things Uh, Indirect experiences are anything you experience that's through the lens or the filter of somebody else. So anytime you read a book or you watch a movie or you play a video game or you attend a play or uh, go to a museum, sometimes 
those things are all you experiencing something that's through, uh, you know, that's been focused through someone else's uh, experiences and you're getting their interpretation of that thing. But that all helps. And, and you, you let that feed into your brain and you combine it with your personal experiences. And pretty soon you've come up with something that's, uh, you know, maybe derivative, but it's also maybe unique to, 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 you know, the, the area of the genre or the area of expertise that you're, that you're going for. I was going to ask about you saying about getting inspiration from everywhere, you know, places you are, do you take a camera around with you everywhere you are? Uh, no, well, I have my phone, which has a camera, but for the most part, I don't take photos. I I take like mental pictures, and sometimes I might even sketch a thing. But for the most part, I'll just stop and stare at a thing, and just record it. And you know, it might get fuzzy. I might forget bits and pieces. Um, um, but but actually recording it with your brain, I think, puts it in there better than taking a photo i've done photos before and I, I still do and i always forget to check them and when i take a photo i think okay i don't have to think of it anymore it's it's stored in my phone and then i forget about it you know <laughs> uh, but but sitting there and experiencing it and if you can if you have the time drawing it while you're there um, that thing will be in your head forever so in 2009, you, you created the challenge um, Inktober, which I'm sure many of our listeners will have heard of or even taken mm-hmm. part in. Certainly both myself and Tara have, have taken part, haven't we, Tara? Yeah. Um, what inspired you to start that challenge? Um, it was, well, at that time, I was just trying all kinds of different things. And I started a blog that was um, for the for some of the artists there at Blue Sky. It was like the art department blog where I'd every week we'd get a drawing prompt and you know six or seven artists would take a shot at and do their version of that prompt and there was also the blue sky blog too and that was a lot of artists doing the same sort of thing um um, and and I was you know I was just trying different things and one of the things that I wanted to try was I, I found this pen this brush pen, one of the artists at Blue Sky had it and I was trying it out and it was such a cool pen, but it was unwieldy. You know, it was like, it was very delicate. You could, you could easily mess up your drawing if you didn't know what you're doing with this brush pen. So I was very used to like, um, this stiff technical pens. And I thought, I want to get good at this pen. I want to draw a lot with it. And I think at the same time, I was also aware of like 30 day, health challenges where you do like a hundred squats every day for 30 days or something like that. Right. And I thought, well, what if we combine that? What if we did an art challenge, uh, where I drew with this pen for 30 days and I thought I need a clever name for it. And so October was coming up and I thought, let's call it Inktober. Those kind of work together. And I announced it on my blog and I just said, Hey, this is something I'm doing. I didn't say I came up with it. I just said, Hey, it's Inktober you know, I'm going to do this thing and here's what it is. And that first year, um, I mostly got, um, no, I don't think anybody else did it. I think I just got support from people, you know, people like, Hey, cool. Look what Jay Parker's doing. And year after year, it just gradually gained, gained steam, you know, uh, two years later, three years later, it was 20 people doing it then 50. And then it really took off when social media became, uh, ubiquitous. Uh, you, you had all these people coming over to Instagram and coming over to Twitter and, and logging on, sharing their artwork and getting used to what a hashtag was and how to use hashtags. And so I established the Inktober hashtag and said, if you're, if you're taking part in Inktober, just hashtag it with, um, with the name Inktober. And that made it so that everybody could see everybody else's work. And so it became very social and and what's interesting now with people doing Inktober is, you know, I'll find someone say, oh, this is this is going to be my third year doing it. And I've never finished it. And this year I'm going to finish it. And so I think it has this, just this built in thing where you try your best. And if you don't quite do it still, you know, it was good experience, but there's always next year and I'm going to try to do it next year. And, and usually when you talk about that, you uh, automatically bring a handful of other people along with you to do it because they're curious and they they want the challenge too. 
I was going to ask, when you first started Inktober, did you have quite a big following at the time? Um, I think I had about 2,000 people who read my blog. That's pretty good. That was it. Yeah. And, and then yeah. do you think that um, Inktober, do you think, is, is one of the reasons your following grew so big as well? Oh, yeah. It's, it's man, it's just been every October, and it's not just me, but it's, I found anybody who does the full 31 days of Inktober, they'll say, oh, I got all these new followers. Um, oh. and, and that's what's interesting because people uh, like consistency and, and they like to see someone taking on a challenge. And so they're, they'll sign up and follow to see how this person does. And so if you, if you commit to doing the full 31 days, um, you know, you could see 10% increase in, in new followers probably. And that's what I see as well. And, and as I get more followers, you know, I think last year I got something like 10,000 or 15,000 new followers wow. in one month. Um, just because not only was I doing it, but a lot of people do say, Hey, this was created by Jake Parker. You should go check out his work. But, you know, I, I, as far as follow, building following that, I mean, that's the main key is being consistent and being reliable and, and posting your work, you know, three or four or five times a week or seven times a week. I don't know if it's subconscious or if it's something they know they do. They just, Oh, this person posts, you know, a lot and they're good. Um, you know, I want to see this show up in my feed and, uh, and it works. Do you ever get to the end of September though and think, Oh no, <laughs> I, re I've really started something because obviously everybody's going to be expecting that you're definitely going to take part. So is there, mm -hmm. ever, has there ever been a, a month where you thought, I really don't want to do it this year <laughs> or are you already always raring to go? I, so the second year, I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm moving. I was in the middle of moving across the country, but I was like, you know what, this is my thing. And who am I, you know, if I don't do this two years in a row, right? If I just announce it one year and then leave it alone. Um, and so that first year I was all for it. And then I had gotten an accident and broke my face and was on pain medication. And I was like, I, I just, I can't do it this year. And so I bowed out. And, um, and it could have fizzled and died right there, but the following year it was 2011. I thought, okay, I need to do this again. If I really want this thing to, you know, to progress and to, and to be something, you know, to be a thing. And for me, it wasn't enough to just do it the same way I did it before. I, I had to alter the um, the challenge for me so that I was still getting something out of it. And so the first year was for me, it was just doing the drawings. The third year, the second year, I almost died. <laughs> the third year though, I, uh, I, uh, I didn't almost die, but I did get hurt really bad. I didn't want <laughs> to lead you down the wrong path. But the third year, what I did was I said, let's tell a story with my October drawings. And I didn't know where the story was going to go. I just had two characters and I started off with something. And that was the challenge for me because I always, I already felt comfortable inking. And then every year it's like something different. Like, okay, I'm going to spend the 30 days developing a new project or telling another story or like my Skyheart book, the graphic novel I was talking about that came out of an October project. It was, let's, take this idea you've had and spend the 30 days really drawing and developing it and make it something real. And so just an idea in the back of your head. Uh, and so that's what gets me excited. And last year I, I did something different. I, uh, instead of doing 31 individual drawings on separate sheets of paper or in a sketchbook, I decided to do them all on the same sheet of paper. And I made this, it was all fantasy characters. And I made this, um, procession of characters sort of marching down a road and that was so fun because I'd been wanting to do more bigger illustrative pieces where I actually spend you know a substantial amount of time on them and I typically you know will do a comic page or I'll do a, a sketch or I'll do a concept art and never spend more than a day on it and I just it was itching to spend 
you know, a month on something. And so I thought, well, for the Inktober, I'll do something that takes a month to do. And, uh, and so that was a challenge for me then. And this year, I liked it so much. I'm going to do the exact same thing again this year, except instead of doing fantasy characters, I'm going to do sci-fi characters. Oh, that sounds so cool. Going back, though, to your first Inktober where you were trying the new brush pen, and I, I feel your pain there because I've got one of those, and I'm normally quite a meticulous person in my uh-huh. sketchbook, and this brush pen is so hard. Obviously, you did that specifically to try and improve with that medium. So did you look back at the end of that month from day one to day 31 and see a significant improvement because you did that challenge? Oh, yeah. Definitely. You can look at the drawings that I was making at the beginning of the month, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I was already a professional artist and I could do a good drawing. So, you know, I was already at a certain level. But by the end of the month, I was just really more comfortable and more confident with the tool so I could take more chances and, and really push myself. And so early in the month, things were very loopy and cartoony and also also Seussian because I had that Dr. Seuss vibe going on in my work because of what I was doing during my day job. Towards the end of it, you know, it was, things were getting very inky and I was putting in lots of shadows and, you know, um, adding lots of like shading and hatching and scratchiness to it as well. So, uh, and then, you know, there is even more like character stuff where I was trying to see how delicate I could. So I could get with the line. So it was like juxtaposing the delicacy of, of a thin line with, you know, dark shadows and things like that. So do you get outside of Inktober? Do you keep regular sketchbooks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you put in them? Is it is it things you see or is it always out of your imagination? It's it's always imagination. I rarely draw from life. And I, that's something I've actually been thinking lately. I should get back to basics and and brush up on some fundamentals and learn how to draw people standing and sitting. Uh, I can, I could fabricate it out of thin air, but it usually has a cartooniness to it. And my realism has sort of um, escaped me because I haven't been drawing from life a lot lately. So, you know, that's me moving forward. But as of now, sketchbooks are a place to experiment sometimes I'll take things way too finished. And so you'll be like, this is a sketch. And I'll know it's just a nice finished drawing in my sketchbook. <laughs> and then other pages are just me like figuring stuff out and wasting five pages on scribbles, you know. So you're, you're um, inspiring all of us, but who inspires you? What artists or creatives do you like? Mm. I'm getting a lot of inspiration these days from, um, oh man, there's a handful. Um, top of my list right now is Aaron Draplin, which is a, um, he's a graphic designer. And I, I do these things called deep dives where I find an artist or a creative person or just somebody I'm interested in or something I'm interested in. And for the next four or five days, I will consume everything that they put out. You know, I'll get a any books that they have. I will read interviews. I will listen to podcast interviews that they've done. I'll go look for every YouTube video that they've done and just kind of find everything about these characters or characters, people. (laughs) And, um, and I recently just did that for Aaron Draplin. And I think what inspires me about him is, is his work ethic and, um, his, the way that he's branding himself. Um, in that he he's this guy who uh, used to do graphic design for uh, he used to work for actual graphic design firms or advertising firms or whatever and then he decided to break off and make his own career doing his own stuff doing you know his own client work and now more more than that he's putting everything into his own like products and his own designs and selling his own prints and creating his own you know, graphic design world. And that's just inspirational to me because that's what I'm trying to do as well. It's, it's, it's less interesting for me to illustrate someone's story than for me to illustrate my own story and to build my own world and figure out, flesh out my own characters. Uh, so I'm, I'm just pulling that sort of his creative energy into my life. 
Um, there's another artist named William Joyce, who's a children's book illustrator and a, a storyteller and a writer. And he uh, is just just a never-ending well of creativity. Every Instagram post he does, not only does it have a beautiful drawing, but it shows the process of the drawing. And then there's you know, a 500-word essay on what this drawing is about and what it means to him. And so for me, uh, these two guys lately have just been like inspiring me to, to be better and to do better and to really take my craft seriously and to not, um, to, to believe in myself. Cause sometimes I can get, you know, I can get to a point where I'm like, you know, is this is too hard work. I should, I should go get, you know, go back and get a real job, get a day job or something like that. Uh, but to, it reminds me to stick with it and to keep doing it because um, it's what I'm good at and it's what I love. So have you ever had a creative block or just not felt like drawing? And what do you do when that happens? Yeah, so um, I think there's like, I think there's two versions of that. There's like a shallow creative block and a deep creative block. And a shallow one just might be like you're fresh out of ideas and you know, maybe you've been creating so much that you've dried up your, your creative bank account. And so my, my reaction to that is I'll take a day and it'll be a day where I just, you know, consume books and go to a movie and, um, and just fill my, you know, visit a museum or I'll take, you know, yeah, I, I chisel out three or four weeks every summer where I'm just off I don't have to create and it's just me to absorb stuff. And that kind of gets me through the next six months. Um, but daily, what I try to do is, is also have these, um, creative bank account filling, you know, filling stations, right. Where the day is done, I've expended all this creative energy and now it's time to sit down and, and for 30 minutes, read a comic book or watch a, 30 minutes of a movie or, or something like that. And that's just me being able to like fill it so that the next day I'm, I'm ready to go. Exercising is also really good for this kind of stuff. Um, I'll go on a run. I love running because you don't have to keep track of reps and you don't have to, you know, you know, jockey for uh, a position on a machine at the, at the, at the gym or, or things like that. You can just get out and go and, think about whatever it is that um that's worrying you or creatively stumping you and 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 your body's like getting exhausted and it's just allowing your brain to like cycle through something over and over and over again and usually i come out of those running sessions just wanting to create so that's all shallow stuff the deep stuff though you know if it's like it's been a year and and you haven't been able to draw or it's been you know five years and you haven't done that that book that you keep saying you're going to do the deep stuff is usually because there's something amiss in your life that you need to, you need to correct and you need to, um, you need to get into alignment. Right. So it might be that there may be a, a personal relationship that is, um, giving you problems. It might be that, you know, someone doesn't approve of your creativity. And so you have to go and, sort that out and, and kind of work that out with that person. Or it could be that you're just in a fight with someone, you know, and, and there isn't, things aren't aligned there. It could be that, um, you know, it could be an overall health thing where you're just not, you're just not healthy. And I think your health, your physical health and your creativity do go hand in hand. And if you're taking good care of your body and you're, you're taking good care of your mind, then your creativity is going to be um, affected by that as well. You know, it could be also, you know, a financial thing too. Like if you're stressed about money or if you're stressed about, um, uh, you know, bills or, or health problems and insurance or whatever it is, um, that can affect your, your creativity as well. So my advice that I give people is, is get your life in order and do what you need to do to, to tie up these loose ends and, and fix your relationships and fix your body and, and fix, you know, whatever physical things that are preventing you from doing that. And you're going to be much more creative 
for the for that. You know, sometimes this, this is a little bit of a tangent, but sometimes people think, you know, I'm stuck in this stupid job and all I want to do is is draw and paint and be creative and if only I could do that, you know, 24 hours a day, then then I'll be, you know, then I'll be happy and and what they don't realize comes with that is once it becomes your profession, you know, then then you're you have to make money doing that thing that you love to do and it and that can change it for you and it can turn it into now you're taking on jobs that you would never want to do but you have to do because you need the money and so you're sitting there drawing and creating and I've done this I've taken on jobs because a I'm only good at drawing I can't do anything else so <laughs> this is my only way of making money but I've taken on jobs where it's like I would rather do anything else than be stuck in this person's world drawing this thing for this person and Whereas uh, sometimes I thought, you know, I had more freedom when I had a non-creative job and I was able to be there physically, but my mind could be somewhere else all day. My mind could be on my projects and then taking those three hours in the evening and working on my, on my projects would be much more satisfying than having my mind trapped in this person's world where I'm doing this job that I that I'm only doing for, for money. So, um, it might be that, that create creatively for you, you could take a day job that isn't creative, but it leaves all this creative energy for you to spend four hours a day or two hours a day or one hour a day doing the thing that you love to do. And that'll give you all that satisfaction that you might need moving forward. Sorry, that's a long answer for. No, it's really, really question. good advice. It's really good advice, though. Very similar to what we've heard. I think it's uh, Kosha, wasn't it? She was saying how she killed her love of um, photography by doing projects for other people. Yeah. And, and I felt it myself as well, and what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I know, really, like you were talking about exercising. I know you've got five children. How do you mm-hmm. balance your days and manage your time between sort of work and creative stuff? Yeah, so. Um... Um, my kids, they, well, A, I have a, a wife who's amazing and she, all she's ever wanted to do is, is run a household and be a mother. And so she is like rock star mom and she manages the household and takes care of like all these things so that I can spend eight hours a day doing my craft. Right. And that's sort of the agreement that we had going into this. And she's like, I'll do the kids, you do your work. And then, um, what we've arranged is that we always eat breakfast together as a family and we always eat dinner together as a family. And then I'm off, um, my drawing duty usually until the kids go to bed. And so they, they get, you know, 100% dad time from the time that I get home until they go to sleep. So that's, you know, that's, it's only a couple hours, but it's, you know, day in, day out, it's good quality time. And then my Saturdays are um, household taking care of stuff, running errands, all kinds of things like that. And then my Sundays are complete family time. So from the start of the day, the end of the day, they know dad's not going to be working on anything and that if they need me for anything, if they want to hang out or do whatever, they've got me for that. So that's sort of the, the, the balance that I have is um, I'm going to put in at least a 40-hour week working. You know, sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 60, but for the most part, I try to keep it at, at the 40 hours and then I'm going to put in another 40 hours doing... Um, family stuff if you include saturday sundays and evenings and then i'm going to put in another 40 hours doing me stuff and sleeping i think that's how the the week shapes up is it three sets of 40 oh don't spring maths on this (laughs) (laughs) it is a juggling act though isn't it i think i think like you say if you've got a plan and you stick to it and everyone knows where they stand i think it's it can only be a good thing yeah um now can you tell us a little bit about how you've used Kickstarter to fund some of your projects and how mm-hmm. that process worked? Yeah, so I've done three Kickstarters now. Um, mm-hmm. 
my first Kickstarter, I think it was 2012. Uh, so it was early, early in Kickstarter years. And um, that's what really opened me up to the possibility that uh, you can make money off of a, a small fan base. You know, I had, I think, 2,000 backers who bought a book. It, the Kickstarter did something like $85,000. And so that was like completely eye-opening. And what I did, what I learned from that was, okay, um, people have uh, an interest in my work. They have a little bit of extra money. So if I just put something out every year, I can sort of count on selling X amount of books every year, uh, personally, you know, not through a publisher, not through through anything like that. So, so what that did was uh, that also fed into doing comic book conventions and having an online shop and things like that. And that's really what Kickstarter, like, you know, unlocked my brain about business wise. And also made me realize too, that social media wasn't just for like playing around and wasting time, that it was actually a viable way to build an audience and to monetize that audience, uh, you know, convert those views and those likes and everything into actual, actual dollars. And I knew that, you know, as I paid attention to, how many people supported my Kickstarter versus how many people followed me. I could count on, you know, if you have a, a hundred followers, you could count on 10% of them clicking a like button and you could count on 1% of them, you know, so 10 of them would click a like button. One of them would actually buy a thing. And, and so I just did the math from that from there on. So if I needed 2000 people to buy a book, um, uh, you know, I would have to get, I would have to have 200,000 people lay eyes on the project, right? Um, and so social media is perfect for that. If you create something that's shareable and viral, um, um, you could, you can get word of mouth going and you can, and you can actually get a project funded and, and support it. The hard thing about Kickstarter too, though, is that you're doing all the work and, um, and people are kind of used to this this thing where you get um, you get something at the click of a button and it shows up at your door that day or a couple of days later. And Kickstarter is all about you know supporting an artist to create a thing and and um, it takes time and there's there's lots of moving parts in it. And so sometimes, me personally, I've dropped the ball a few times and. You know, things came out later than they should have. And, um, you know, sometimes working with uh, other people and other companies, printing companies and things like that, there's communication problems. So, you know, with shipping, not understanding how shipping works really, you know, hurt one of my projects. Um, so it's just been an overall, like, a big learning experience for me, um, but also eye-opening in, in regards to how, you can use a fan base to to um, to support an artist. So another project you've got, I know that as well as drawing, you now teach people how to draw with SVS Learn. Have I got that right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. So what inspired you to create that? SVSLearn.com. So um, me and another artist named Will Terry, who you should have him on next <laughs> whenever he gets back. From, he's in Hawaii right now. So whenever he gets back check him out but we both have done children's books and we both taught it um, classes at universities and we were talking one day and we we're like you know the frustrating thing is there's nobody that's really teaching um, some of these things that, that we know by working in the, the children's book publishing specifically like there's no really good children's book class and if there is a good one then you have to attend a specific art school to get this class right and so we're like well let's put our heads together and make a class uh, and make it available online for people who are interested and so it all just started with with one class and we ended up teaching like a five-week six-week class on children's books how to do children's books and it was it was um you know we filled up the class 20 people showed up online every week I think we got another 50 or 100 people who downloaded the class and um, and just wanted to watch lessons without feedback. 
uh, you know, personal feedback from us. And, and we saw that a, it made way more money than, um, our adjunct professor jobs at the, whatever university we're teaching at and B, um, we were able to teach way more people, uh, doing it this way. And so we decided to do a second class and a third class. And, and now we've got over a hundred hours of online content. I think we've got 70 classes or 60 classes that we've done. And we brought on other teachers to teach classes and, um, and we have a subscription now. So if, if you want to subscribe, I think for $30 a month, you could get access to all these classes and watch them as long as you're subscribed. And, and it's just been this, um, it's been a way to scratch our teaching itch. It's been a, like a financial, um, uh, a financial foundation for us. One of the things, one of the problems with being a freelance or an independent illustrator is you'll do a job for a publisher and you'll get half of the money up front and then half of the money when you finish the project. Well, what do you do in between, you know, you get those checks, right? Um, and what happens if, you know, the check doesn't come for two months? Um, and so it's either, you know, it could be either feast or famine. You've got all this money, you've got to spread it out. And we just wanted something that could, um, could just give us a little bit of a buffer in between these other illustration checks that were coming in. And so that seemed like a, a good way to do it is to offer our expertise to other people who are wanting to learn about the craft and, and have it not be something that was um, inaccessible because of money and, and location. So that's one of the big problems with um, art schools is they're so stinking expensive and, and you might not be in a t- time period in your life where you can just go to art school. You might not live in a place um, where there's a good art school, you know, in your, in your, in your town and, um, and you might not have the money to do it. So we wanted to kind of fix all those problems and offer something for people who, who couldn't deal with that. Well, I was watching um, one of your videos the other day on your YouTube channel and the video I watched, I think it was called How to Draw Everything. And it was a like an introduction to one of your uh, classes. Yeah. And I've got to say, the way that you explain things is just brilliant. It, everything is put in such simple terms. And I think it's not intimidating at all for anyone who wants to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so Great. I would highly recommend anyone listening to to go and check that out because I I was really impressed with that. Some people just have a knack of explaining something mm-hmm. far more simply than others. And I think that's what you do so well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's a great mm. critique. I, yeah. I, uh, I think between Will and I and Lee White, he's our other um, partner in this, in this um, school that we're doing. Uh, we all, you know, we've all been teaching for years and we all have, you know, I think 50 different books that we've done between us all. So there's a lot of knowledge there. And the thing I like about these other, these other guys, Lee is self-taught. Will went to art school, but he's learned so much on his own over the years um, that we all kind of bring to it this, this perspective where it's more about what, what do you need to do to get the job done and to get it to look good and less about you know, there's an actual specific way that you have to do it this certain way. Um, and so uh, it's not too formal and it is, you know, hopefully something very understandable and, and something, you know, we like to get to those basics and just, mm. you know, when it comes down to it, it's just about this principle. And if you can learn this principle, then you can apply it any which way that, that works for you. So that's sort of our teaching style. So, so what has been the highlight of your creative journey so far? would you say? Um, highlight of my creative journey. I would say like this last, this last year has been a highlight. I, you know, I've really had my head down working hard and trying to get a lot of things done in these past couple of years. Um, and, and because I've been working so hard that sometimes I forget where I'm at and what I've been able to accomplish because I'm always looking forward and never looking back. It's like, what's next? What's next? How do I, 
you know, how do I meet this deadline? How do I fix this thing? Like today, um, you know, me forgetting that we're meeting at one and <laughs> just working and then looking up at the clock and realizing, oh, shoot, uh, I wish I, I should have sent an alarm. Anyways, um, so, but at one point my wife stopped me and she's like, you know, because I'm sitting here stressing out and, and like, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. And if I'm going to be able to do this project, I have to finish this project right here. And and then I was just like, and I, you know, I, I think I was lamenting that I wasn't where I wanted to be. And she's like, stop. Look at what you've been able to accomplish. Look at where you're at right now. If If Jake 20 years ago could see that you've accomplished these, you know, have these many books published, you have you know, the studio that's outside of your home, this, this nice studio space that you're, that you're working at, um, that you're able to support this family, these five kids, and we're not, you know, we're not struggling. We're not, you know, we're not rich or anything, but, but, um, and she's just like, look at what you've, you've been able to accomplish and you're doing it all yourself. And, and, uh, and she's, she's just like, you know, slapping me out of whatever hysteria I was in. And that made me realize like, like I'm experiencing my highlight, you know, and I hope that the highlight continues to get better as I hopefully accomplish these things that I'm aiming for right now. I don't know if that's kind of a lame answer. I don't know if you wanted a specific <laughs> thing, but I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. And I'm, I don't want it, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to like maintain this and, and accomplish the things that, that I got my sights on. And like you say, it's important to enjoy the journey, the, the mm-hmm. process. Um, it's easy to focus on the goal, but the trouble is, and certainly in my experience, every time you th- you're about to reach the goal, that goalpost just moves, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why that's why you have to enjoy the journey because you're right. never gonna. I don't think anybody ever reaches their their goal, do they? Really, they've got to get even better. Right. I think some people. I get into this too, where it's like you know, I like the idea of having a graphic novel finished, but do I really like making the graphic novel, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and the the truth and the reality is, is if, if you don't enjoy um, drawing a comic page every day and solving those artistic problems of where do I put the character? Where do I put the word bubble? How do I draw a face at this angle? How do I draw a character running in this pose in this space? If that's no fun for you to be solving those problems day in and day out, then then maybe making graphic novels isn't your thing, you know. And so I think, yeah, having realizing that if if um, separating that having a finished product versus making a thing, if you can enjoy the making of it, you're going to be in a much better much better shape creatively and and in your career than if it's all about just having that that finished thing so what are your goals for the future your creative goals yeah so um my goals for the future is um i want to i want to do this the skyheart book that i came up with i want to do a full series of books uh whether that's three or four or five um but I have a story, a big story that I want to tell, and I want to, I want to work on that. And then I have a handful of other, um, I have a handful of other stories that I want to tell as well. And uh, so those are sort of, it's just stories that I want to tell. And, and also, I think the main thing with Inktober too is like, how do I continue to grow it? How do I make it so that it reaches more people and benefits more people? Uh, so that's been an exciting project. Um, every year just requires more of my time and I put more stuff into it and then, uh, I manage more things going on with it. And so, you know, there's, there's, I guess there's mountains to climb there with that. And then as far as the school's concerned, the SVS learn, it's how do we impact more artists and teach more people and, uh, get more teachers able to teach as well. It's, it's also another another thing that I'm really looking forward to working on. Obviously, we're going to link to you um, at the bottom of the show notes. But meanwhile, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you? Go to mrjakeparker.com and just click around and 
check out my projects and there's links to my social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Um, and um, that should, that should, your stuff about Inktober on there. There's stuff about SVS Learn on there, all my books that I've done. So that that's everything you need. It's right there, mrjakeparker.com. Brilliant. And we'd certainly um, encourage every listener to join in with Inktober, really would, because it's yeah. um, a fantastic challenge, really is. Thank you so much, Jake, for taking the time to chat to uh, Tara and I. You've been fantastic. It's yeah, been great to so talk much. to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great, it's great. It. Well, hopefully you'll come back on and tell us all about what you've been up to next year. Yeah, that'd be good. Take care then. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes. Back soon.